Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. together this morning for pastor's prayer where I pray corporately as a body for us this morning as we join together and I'd pray that you would agree in your spirit as I pray out loud join with me dear heavenly father how glorious is your name we come to you this morning to submit ourselves to your kingdom and your rule over us as a benevolent father you have granted to us all things to enjoy and may we lift up our hearts with joy and thanksgiving for all of your provisions. We humbly ask for your Holy Spirit to continue his work in our lives. And we thank you for his gracious work in making us more like your son, Jesus. We come together this morning to ask for wisdom and discernment as we begin this new series on kingdom living. Help us understand your word and to rely on the power that its truths present. Let us hold fast to the words of life. Forgive us for the sins committed this week, whether by commission or omission. We claim the promise that if we repent and confess that you will cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. We pray that you would bind the power of spirit of Satan, bound the power of Satan and the lure of temptation that we continually face. And with boldness and courage, let us declare, get thee behind me, Satan, and to renounce the works of the flesh. Bind our hearts to one another as a loving community as we seek to provoke one another to good works. And may we graciously do and accept the one another's commanded in your word. We ask this in the name of your precious Son and our Savior. And all God's people said, Amen. Oh, it's good to be with you this morning. We're going to be beginning a new series titled Kingdom Living, the Life of sacrifice. The title to this message is A New Way of Living. As you may know, we've been uh, going through Galatians and James uh, this past year. We just finished James last week. In Galatians, we saw Paul sharing with us is that we must live by faith. We are only justified by faith and not by works. And then we went and took James, the book in, who says, yes, you are justified by faith, but it's also by works. In other words, we saw that it's faith plus works, not in the fact of salvation, but what he points out is those who are justified or made right with God through faith will then live out the implications of that gospel. They will be obedient to the word of God. As Jesus himself said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And there's the challenge that I want us to tackle for these next few weeks is we're going to look at kingdom living. What does it mean to be kingdom living? What does it mean to have a life of sacrifice? And I will bring your attention to Mark chapter 1, verse 14 through 15. And in Mark chapter 1, you'll see that it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, and here's the quote, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Father, we want to follow the words of our Savior and our precious Jesus. 
And Father, I pray that you'd open up our minds and hearts to receive what you have for us this morning. Let me speak words that are edifying, that are encouraging, that are challenged. And Lord, let us have know the difference between your word and my opinion. And let my opinion fall away like chaff. But would our hearts just receive deeply the implanted word that you've given us. Thank you for your mercy and grace. Join with us this morning. It may we respond how you've called us to. We praise again in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. And it's with that message, and go ahead and keep that up there for just a moment. It's with that message there, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, is the message that Jesus begins his earthly ministry. If you look at Matthew and other portions, you'll see that that was his message. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He begins his earthly ministry that will eventually lead him to the cruel tortures of the cross, the sweet victory of the resurrection, which is followed by a promise returned at his ascension into heaven. But you and I must ask, what is the kingdom of God? What is its importance? What does it have to do with me? And if there's a kingdom, where is it at? Where do I find it? And how do I belong? And there's a thing that we need to understand is God has called all those who have repented and confessed their sin and turned towards Him. He says there is a kingdom. God is building His kingdom. Now you and I understand that God created all things, do we not? And Genesis tells us that He created all things. He created man and woman in His image and He set them up over to mediate His garden. But we see that they fail. Sin came and rebellion came to each and every one. But then we see God starts again with Abraham, gives him the promise of a, of a new nation, of a new children. And with Moses, as he leads him into the new land, a new garden of Eden, as you will, God sets up a, a new kingdom with priests and prophets and kings who will still reign in his stead. But yet again, we find that there's a pattern in which sin, once again in rebellion, as we see in Judges, causes Israel to fall and once again kicked out of the land as Adam was kicked out of the garden. Once again restored to the land, looking forward to the Messiah, they still do not submit to the kingship of God. And that's where we find where Jesus breaks into history. And as we find is God now sets up His kingdom, not through a nation, not through a people, but through His Son, and He begins the kingdom of God. There's a few points I want to get across today. It's going to be much more informational than than application today. But I want us to understand as we're introducing the kingdom of God, what is it that God is calling us to do? So first thing that we need to see as we go through these slides here is that God reigns. We must understand that God is sovereign. Psalms 47 tells us, For God is the King of all the earth. Amen? Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nation. God sits on His holy throne. Whether you believe that or not, whether you proclaim God, whether you're an atheist or an Islamist, Mormon, whatever it may be, you must understand that withstanding your belief, God is sovereign and rules. You don't have to accept it. You don't have to believe it. You don't have to submit, but yet He still reigns. The Bible also tells us in Psalms 93 that the Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. He is robed. He is put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are the everlasting. However, as we go through, I want to share with you some facts 
about God's sovereign rule. However, sin introduced rebellion against God's rule. Romans tells us that sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. We're speaking of Adam. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. If you're born here today, you're born in sin. Not because of what you've done, but because that is what your nature is. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. He says, in what you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Someone asked me this week, it says, are we not all children of God? And the answer is, no, we are all made in the image of God, but we're not all children of God. He calls us disobedient. Not only disobedient, he says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And so without the Christ's intercession for us, you and I are deserving of God's wrath. We're vessels of God's anger. And children of disobedience, rebellion, rebellious in our nature. We see the next thing that we're going to see here is that God has reestablished, though, His kingdom through the work of Christ. It may seem that there was a time in which God had been dethroned, but yet we see finally in the New Testament and in the Gospels that God reestablished His kingdom through the work of Christ. For Romans 8 tells us, you may look it up, Romans chapter 8, verse 33 tells us, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Well, Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And what we see that God has reestablished His kingdom, His rule, His throne, through the work of Christ. Not through the work of Abraham or through the work of, of Moses or work of any other man or woman, but through the work of Christ and what we see in Hebrews is that the king is in place. There is a king on the throne, and it's Jesus. For Hebrews tells us, When Christ had offered up for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. See, the world spends all their time, Dustin was sharing with us in Sunday school, how, the, how some of the smartest and what we'd say the wisest people on the earth, in many people's opinion, continually deny not only the fact of Jesus' throne, but even the existence of Christ. They want to wipe Him from the history books. They want to wipe Him from all memories and all things. But we see that Christ is still on the throne. And then all of those we see the next fact is Jesus has received all authority in heaven and on earth. God has set up His kingdom. He has established it through the work of Christ. He has put Jesus on the throne. And not only that, He says, I've given you all authority, as Philippians tells us. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him, speaking of Jesus, the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will be a time when everyone will take that knee and everyone will confess who Jesus is. And the next fact is that the kingdom of God 
It's not some political kingdom, not some nationality. It's not a piece of land that we can hold on to. But the kingdom of God actually refers to the visible universal submission to His reign by the hearts of those who proclaim Him as King. Take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, if you would. It says, And He, speaking of Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. Trevin Wax, he writes in his book, Counterfeit Gospels, that the gospel announcement that the kingdom of God is at hand bursts people into God's kingdom. And God makes His kingdom visible through the formation of His church. You and I here today, those of you who have repented of your dead works and you've turned and trusted in the works of Christ, are part of that kingdom. And God's kingdom grows as each heart submits to Him. And today, you and I should come to the realization that Jesus is more than just a good moral teacher. And if you're here this morning, and that's all you think of Jesus, you would be half correct, or maybe a quarter correct. For you must understand that He is the sovereign Lord, the King over the kingdom. And when we see Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, He begins to talk a little bit more of His kingdom. You can turn there, Matthew chapter 5. We're not going to look at many verses there, but i just give you an outline very quickly. As we see, Jesus begins to teach on the Sermon on the Mount what the kingdom of God is like. What he shares, it's not a treaty on social ethics, which many people think, well, the words of Jesus are like Gandhi. That's what they hold. Or it's the same as Buddha or Confucius or, or some other type of fortune cookie. They're just nice things that you can put in a Hallmark card and put down for people to make them feel good. That's all the words of Jesus are. But the Sermon of the Mount, the words of Christ, are more than just a treaty on social ethics. They are the words of the Lord. They cannot be divorced from allegiance to Christ. This is what's interesting. Only followers are included so interesting where people want to claim the words of Christ but deny who he says he is and that's what we have on the golden rule and all the other things that people come up we love what Jesus says we just don't like who he is and who he proclaims to be the sermon on the mount God describes life in God's kingdom it's the place where God's people embrace his rule It's the characteristics of those who belong. And let me share with you, not everyone belongs to the kingdom of God. And that's a thing that we need to understand, and we'll go a little bit more into that in a moment. For if not everyone belongs, you and I have a job to do with that kingdom. In the Sermon on the Mount, he gives the characteristics of the people as we look to 3 through 11 and 12. Blessed are those that are poor in the Spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. We're seeing the characteristics of those people who have been regenerated, who have been born again, who have been made new. In the Sermon on the Mount, he gives the true interpretation and implications of the law. It's not looking for loopholes. It's not just some rigid way of living. It's not just a lift of rules to make your life hard. How many times have you and I read God's Word? And just think, this is just too burdensome. This is just too many commands. All the thou shalt's and the thou shalt nots. And we just think, all this Christian living is nothing but a bunch of rules of what I can do 
and what I can't do. And then what we do is we just balance it and say, well, which one is better? But it's much more than that. Jesus also in the Sermon on the Mount distinguishes between true and false believers. And we've hit on this quite a bit through Galatians and James, is that there are many people who profess that they follow and submit to the rule of Christ, but yet their life proves other words. You see, there's two wrong views of the kingdom of God that many have tried to interpret through here. Some believe that the kingdom of God is past. It is nothing left for God to manifest or to show His people. It's no longer valid today. But then there's those on the other side that say the kingdom of God is just for the future and it has no bearing for us today. But I'm here to share with you that the kingdom of God is here today. And He's calling for you and I to be a part of it. And to be a part of it, we need to understand what it means to be part of it. Some will ask, well, if the kingdom of God has come, and if Christ now sits on the throne, why is there still sin and evil in the world? And I think that's a good question. As we look around this world, we can not only turn on the, the TV, but open a paper and just see something else going on. Injustice seems to be everywhere. Violence seems to be just overtaking anything. It could be just racial prejudice. It could be oppression, persecution, economic problems. Christ is on the throne, why doesn't He just overrule these things? We have a term in which you say that God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, is here. It is already established, but it's not yet fully consummated. And that's a hard topic sometimes to understand. What do you mean that, it, that He's on the throne, but yet He isn't ruling everything? That doesn't seem like one who's sovereign and one who is in control. Well, I'd give you an illustration of David. We all know King David. Many of us at least remember the children's story of David and Goliath. We remember Absalom and all the things that happened to David. But look at David's history of him becoming king. In 1 Samuel 16, we see that David is anointed the future king of Israel when he was still just a little boy. He says, you will be the king, but yet he is not. In himself, when he fights against Saul, he never takes matters in his own hands does he? He never overthrows or kills Saul. He allows and says, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. I will wait on God's providence. In 2 Samuel chapter 2, years later, after much tribulation, after much persecution, after much fighting and heartache, David is anointed king, but he's only king over Judah. And then there's a long war of seven years between the house of David and Saul. We see in 2 Samuel 3, and then two chapters later, we'll see that finally David is anointed king over all of Israel. So it takes quite a few years for his kingdom to be finally consummated. But when was he anointed king over Israel? When he was a young man. Remember, Samuel come and anoint him in the same way Jesus is anointed king, and now he's calling his subjects, he's building his kingdom one heart at a time. David had to win over the hearts of those of Israel. Taking over the land was easy, but winning the hearts of your subjects is much more difficult and time-consuming. Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Start with verse 5. 
The writer says, now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. He writes, it has been testified somewhere, what is man, and he's quoting, I believe, Psalms 2, what is man that you are mindful of him, or is a son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything into subjection under his feet. So we see everything is under Jesus' feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he goes on to say, he left nothing outside of his control. But at present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. Christ, though he's been given the kingdom, he is the Christ, the Messiah, the one in which the gates of hell will not prevail against it, is now not only on rule, but he's expanding his kingdom as you and I are here this morning. My prayer is, is that some of you will accept the kingdom of God, that you yourself will be brought, that you yourself will see that Jesus rules. You see, Christ's birth and ministry, His death, His burial, His resurrection, and His ascension inaugurated the kingdom. It began at that point. In Matthew 28, 18, as He's beginning ready to go to heaven, it says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he gives us a command. And we see the next factor, His second coming will consummate that kingdom. We are still waiting for the king's return when all things will be put under his feet. Turn to Corinthians, if you would, chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Again, Paul opens up a little bit more, a little bit wider, sheds a little bit more light on this mystery of God's kingdom. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 24, where Paul is writing, he says, then comes the end. He's speaking of the, the, res the last resurrection. He says, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to destroy it is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things under him. When all things are subjected to him, speaking of Jesus, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. What we're getting there in all those in hymns and but them and subjections is we see that Jesus now is in the process of building that kingdom heart by heart. And at the time when the final end comes and as he returns and he defeats Satan and all is done, the resurrection is coming, we see that then he defeats death and all things then, he takes his rule, his kingdom, and he gives it back to the Father and all things are done and God's kingdom is completed. But even though that second coming is not until some time and he'll consummate it, the kingdom of God, though, has ramifications here on earth. And that's where I'd like for you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6. For this is where we come to. For kingdom living is a life of sacrifice. Unfortunately, many people are preaching and teaching is that the kingdom of God is about having your best day today. 
is to having your Mondays and Sundays and Sundays and Thursdays and Saturdays all the like Friday. It's all supposed to be TGIF. Or to having your best life now. It's about enjoying life and having everything you've ever wanted and speaking in existence by the power of your words and your divine youthfulness, all these things that you want and desire. But the kingdom of God is just a little bit different. From Romans chapter 6, look at verse 12. He says, because of the kingdom of God, because you're in the kingdom, because you've joined and submitted yourself to Him, He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey your passions. He said in Ephesians, you were once dead, but now that you've entered the kingdom, you're now alive. So no longer let yourself be carried by the passions of your desires. He goes on, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as to those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but are under grace. The first sacrifice that you and I are going to have to be part of this kingdom is to die. But wait a second. What do you mean to die? I don't think I want to die. I want life. I want life more abundant. I want the houses and the cars and the better job and the more influence. I want everything to be hunky-dory. But yet that's not what God has called for those that are in His kingdom. As we look at some of the attributes that distinguish God's kingdom, we see that you and I are going to have to wait and be patient. In other words, justice isn't always going to be right around the corner. Not to go in big detail, but Dustin and I, this, just this week, have experienced some things in which we cried out for justice and we cried out for sin to be demolished. For we met some whose lives are being devastated by sin and by choices, some by those that were over them and some by their own decisions. You and I all have people in our lives or know others whose lives are just being demolished, hurt. Some are there in agony, and some are going down the road happy as go lucky as can be, not even aware of the pain and destruction that they're in. But we wait for the king to come again to bring in the fullness of righteousness, peace, and joy. The only way to find righteousness, peace, and joy, my friend, is through the kingdom of God. But as James tells us, we must wait patiently for it. We must remain steadfast. In Romans, he says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. See, that's what the Jews were looking for. They were looking for a national political kingdom in which they would destroy their enemies, the temple would be reset up, and the, and, the, and the Messiah would come, destroy the Romans, and then life would be about buying, selling, eating, drinking, marrying, and having parties. That was the joyful life that they were looking for. But here, Paul says it's not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not about the physical but it's of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And even though those things may not be evident in the world around us, 
It's in the hearts of those who belong to the kingdom of God. Amen? That's the peace that passes all understanding. When everything's gone to hell in a handbasket, the one who's in the kingdom of God is the one that has the joy in their heart and the peace and who continues to live a life that pleases God even in the midst of persecution and troubles and trials. You see, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Colossians tells us that God has delivered us, or Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. I told one young lady this week, is Christianity is the only one that deals with guilt and shame. Every other religion will tell you something else. They will tell you that guilt and shame does not exist or that guilt and shame is something that's brought on you by this world and its social constructs or guilt and shame is something that belongs to your parents or someone else that did something to you. But you and I know in those dark times of our soul as we gaze into the mirror and we cannot even look ourselves in the eyes, guilt and shame just brings us down. We medicate it with drugs and alcohol and pleasure experiments and with sleeping or reading and things to distract us from really what's happening in our lives. But God says it does not need to be so. For I've transferred you from that domain of darkness into light. No longer do you have to bear that guilt and shame, for he took it. The Lord, the one who sits on the throne, put it upon himself and became that vessel of wrath. It was poured out onto him, and he accepted it willingly so you and I do not have to. That's what await those that belong to the kingdom of God. What he's done. He's called us to be heralds of that kingdom. You can remember the old, maybe Earl Flynn movies and those other types of movies of, of, the, uh, of, of history in which you'd have a king and there would be somebody come around and they'd blow their horns, right? Do, 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 do. Hear ye, hear ye, the words of the king. And they would give a proclamation. You and I are also called to herald the good news. We're to evangelize. We're to share about the kingdom of God. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus, His last words to the disciples, says, So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? The disciples still do not get the issue here. They're still looking for a political, national kingdom. But Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons, that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You and I, as we are in the kingdom, are to be heralds of the truth. You and I, in our sphere of influence, as we meet people, we need to be telling them about the kingdom of God. How would you like to be transferred from darkness into light? How would you like to have peace and righteousness and joy instead of guilt and shame and pain. 
These are the words of one who heralds the good news. And if you're part of that kingdom, that's part of your responsibility. You and I understand this. We see this in the world today. Whether you join a little league or some type of fraternity, sorority, or any other type of thing, there are times when you're going to have to sell goods or tell others about your activities. Why? So they can support you. So you want others to come and see you or join you. The same way we need to be involved in that. Now, we don't do bake sales and we don't do all these other types of things to get it, but we invite each other as we, in our sphere of influence as we walk through our daily life. We're heralds of the kingdom of God. He goes on to say, though, that this is something you and I must understand. And it's found in Acts chapter 14. He says, the road to the kingdom, you and I must understand, is paved with tribulation and suffering. And see, this is where I'm getting to here. For you and I believe that the kingdom of God should be about butterflies, puppies, and little kittens. But that's not kingdom life. They didn't treat our king that way, so don't be surprised when they treat us as they treated him. Jesus told his disciples, they hate me, they will what? Hate you. But in Acts chapter 14, looking at verse 19, it says that Paul preached the gospel to that city, and he had made many disciples, and he returned, and strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Scripture tells us that every true follower of Christ will face some type of persecution. And you and I are seeing that more and more as we see in the Mideast, in China, North Korea, and elsewhere, followers of Christ facing persecution. It's finding itself into the shores of America as each person finds out that a stand for Christ and the words of Christ will bring you social oppression and, and, and economic disaster. Just reading once again of a couple in New York that would use their home from time to time for weddings. And then some lady calls and says, well, will you do a wedding? I want to marry my partner. He winds up being a lesbian. They said, you know, we, don't, we just don't do those types of weddings. It's against our faith. The state of New York fined them $13,000 and said, you must hold that wedding. Now, that's not abnormal. Those are not the exemptions any longer, the exception to the rule. Those are the rules. So let me tell you, the kingdom life is a life of sacrifice. And here's where we're going to go to as we go through this series, is that many of you may believe that you're part of the kingdom of God because you just want your life better. You're just tired of the old ways. So what you really want to do is you treat Jesus as a different set of clothes, but you've never really taken a shower or a bath and rid yourself of it. You see, Jesus is really not the solution. He's just another solution to the problems you have. And I add them on to AA, GA, whatever A. But that's not the kingdom life. For God is calling out among the nations and say, come and follow me. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. 
And really, we just want Jesus to make my life easier. And that's how we're selling it. But let me tell you, being a follower of Christ will not make your life easier. It will not open doors of popularity to you. It will not advance your career for the most part. In some places, it will shut the doors hard and fast. But God has called us as children of the kingdom to be part of the kingdom and to live that life of sacrifice. You may ask, well, how do we enter the kingdom? What do we have to do? Well, we read it with the scripture reading earlier. In John chapter 3, he says, Jesus answered Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter? Jesus said, Unless you're born of water and spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You must be born again. The first sacrifice of kingdom living is you must die in order that you may be born again. In other words, you must die to self. You must die and repent of the dead works. And when I use the phrase dead works, I'm speaking of going to church or doing good things to make myself right with God. You see, that's the problem that we have with religion, is we're all trying to be right with God. But you and I cannot be made right with God by any works. The Bible tells us the chasm is too big for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In Matthew 48 or somewhere around there, he says you must be perfect as the Father is perfect. And all of us fail short in that regard. So it's repenting of all those things and turning and trusting in the works of Christ and that God accepts what Jesus did and then he applies it to those who will trust in that. That's what it means to be born again. It means to be regenerated. It means to be uh, made alive. For he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. But if we go on to verse 5 and 6, he says, but God being rich in mercy has made us alive. Let me tell you, has God made you alive today? Have you died to self? Died to sin? Have you been raised to walk in newness of life? You see, the kingdom of God provides deliverance from sin rather than political deliverance, rather than financial or economic deliverance, rather than just deliverance from relationship problems. And that's really what most people want. But that's not what you need. You need a deliverance from sin. And the kingdom of God requires internal repentance not just external submission. For there are many who will say, I believe in Christ. I have accepted Christ. I said the sinner's prayer, but yet their life is marked by just living the way that they want. That's what we're going to be talking about in this series. Now I want to challenge you. We may make you uncomfortable the next few weeks as we talk about sacrifice. What is it to live in the kingdom? But living in the kingdom will require sacrifice. But let me ask you this. Whose kingdom do you serve? The kingdom of self or the kingdom of God? Paul Tripp writes in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, 
that the central work of God's kingdom is change. God accomplishes this work as the Holy Spirit empowers people to bring His word to others. We bring more than solutions and strategies, principles, and just simple commands. We bring the greatest story ever told, the story of the Redeemer. Our goal is to help one another live with a God story mentality. He goes on to write, Our mission is to teach, admonish, and encourage one another to rest in God's sovereignty rather than establishing our own. And I believe many people, even those who profess Christ, have been trying to establish their own sovereignty. To rely on His grace, he writes, rather than performing on our own. And to submit to His glory rather than seeking our own. This is the work of the kingdom of God. People in the hands of the Redeemer, daily functioning as His tools of lasting change. Would you join with me in proclaiming that we are subjects of the kingdom of God, willing to live a life of sacrifice? Every head bowed and every eye closed. I'd like for you to just take a moment of reflection. God may speak differently to each and every one of you, so I would call for you just to take a moment. But I encourage you, God's word has been spoken. How would you respond? Father, help us to respond to your call this morning. Please do not allow anyone to leave this auditorium this morning without knowing whether or not they're in the kingdom or not. Let them be transferred from that domain of darkness into light. Regenerate their hearts. Cause them to be born again. For those that are our, may our profession of faith be proven true. May we be willing to live that life of sacrifice Call us to respond to that life of sacrifice. And Father, I pray that you would do the work that you've ordained by your hand for each and every one of us. And Father, we humbly ask for your grace and your power to be on us this week as we begin to live out the kingdom. We thank you for this. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.